Welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm your host, Rebecca Kinnestrand. Do you consider yourself spiritual but non-religious? Agnostic. Or maybe you grew up in a church but don't believe what you were taught there anymore. This podcast exists in that space between all-in or all-out religion. Join us in asking questions that challenge the notions of Christianity. Welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm Rebecca Kinnestrand, and next to me is my friend Danielle and Pastor Mike Anderson across the table from me from Holy Spirit Lutheran Church. We're here to question um, Christianity, give some challenging questions to the pastor, and just in general talk about topics that have interest to those who may be spiritual, non-religious. The topic we're going to talk about today is architecture, mm-hmm. um, the architecture of churches and why churches are built the way they are, why people hold um, their services in different places. I happen to know, um, you probably know this if you've already listened to podcasts, I was brought up Roman Catholic, huge giant cathedrals, um, lots of uh, bells and incense and giant windows and you know, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I've also been to places where they actually say we hold our service in a school gym because we want no symbolism. Mm-hmm. It's all about your relationship to God, and that is it. And we don't want these false idol types of worship. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, there is a ga- there's you can run the gamut with where you're in a tent, you know, yeah. in a in a theater with a band, or mm-hmm. uh, in a just a roundabout church, at least, sort of like we have here at Holy Spirit. <laughs> So, Pastor Mike, please inform us what your thoughts are on this. Well, that is a huge topic, church <laughs> architecture. In 15 oh, minutes my or less. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be just a brief outline of what I know about church architecture. And to be honest, I'm not an expert, but yeah. I, I know a little bit about architecture. And uh, I'd begin by saying that um, the architecture of a church actually flows out of the theology of the community that's gathered. So it's often reflective of a theological perspective. Mm -hmm. So uh, let me take you back in time to the first three centuries uh, following Christ's birth and resurrection. Uh, Those first three centuries, uh, the church, the the, uh, Christian church, was not an official church of the Roman Empire. It was its own thing, and people would meet usually in houses, and they would meet around mealtime. Quakerish. Um, kind of, but okay. there would be more talking. Quakers, <laughs> the Quaker church enjoys silence, and I've been to Quaker worship many times, and I actually appreciate it very much, but it would be a little different from that. Okay. And it would read scripture, they'd sing songs, and they would have a meal together. Mm. So the meal was very important, and the small group of people together journeying through life through a difficult world would be the theological focus, that we are people called out by God to walk a certain path in life. We need to support each other in that walk when most of the world around us is not that way. Mm-hmm. So they'd meet in, this, in small churches, and that would become, the, their architecture would be their home. Mm-hmm. So they'd meet God in their homes. Um, so it evolved, of course, with the Roman Empire um, making Christianity legal, and then the official religion in the 4th century, mm-hmm. the Christians all of a sudden had power, had wealth, um, and they had the ability to build build buildings for more and more people to come to Mm. worship. And so what they did is is copy a Roman building style called basilica. Now, we think of the word basilica uh, as a kind of a churchy word, but it wasn't. Uh, It was a Roman style of building that had a long, narrow 
<laughs> nave. nave. Uh, it's, called, yeah. <laughs> it's called a long, narrow area like shaped like a rectangle. Mm-hmm. You'd have seats near each side, and you'd have an altar or a throne up no. front in the basilica. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when the Roman Empire had such a building, they would then welcome an important person or maybe the emperor, the Caesar, into this building with a formal procession. They would have people with candles and uh, maybe trumpets and people who would have banners. They'd come marching in, and then there'd be people on both sides singing back and forth, praise to the emperor, Mm -hmm. um, antiphonally. That means back and forth, back and forth. Um, The emperor would then come in, and everyone would stand, and they would sing praise to the emperor. Symbolically, the emperor was the power of the universe. He, mm-hmm. he was at the, the top of the pinnacle, of yeah. the, pinnacle, uh-huh. of the pyramid, right. uh-huh. and he was the most important and powerful person in the world, economically, militarily, in every way. The Christians then, once they sort of took over the basilica form for their worship, copied also the worship style. Mm-hmm. But instead of the emperor being the one welcomed in with praise and psalms and procession, there was the presence of God symbolized in Jesus Christ on the cross. A crucified carpenter became, quote, the important one that uh-huh. we stand up and give reverence and honor to. So not only did the Christians copy the basilica architectural style, they copied the way they celebrated the emperor and instead celebrated a crucified carpenter who symbolized the underside of history rather than the top side of history. Got it. So that's early Christianity. Right. Mm -hmm. So how does that lead to these big cathedrals that we think of as the kind of ultimate archetype of grand church? Yeah, that's like many hundreds of years later. And the big cathedrals, especially in Europe, uh, were built as a way to... Um, I hate to say this, but sort of compete with the neighboring town. That, uh, your cathedral's bigger than our cathedral, and there's a little bit of that going on. Yeah. But they still have this basilica form mm-hmm. and this sense of coming into and uh, celebrating the presence of the crucified um, carpenter who we follow and worship. But then it sort of became, well, we live in the Middle Ages that are a time of difficulty for many people, we need to give them a hint of what the heavenly realm is like. So the whole goal of a cathedral is to create a heavenly environment. Mm-hmm. So part of your life, at least, can go into this holy space, and you can feel transcendent from your ordinary life. You can feel and rise above the difficulties of your life, and it can be very holy. People didn't read back then, so Mm -hmm. many of the stained glass windows would be telling a story as well, tell the biblical story Mm -hmm. about who God is and what God is like. Cathedrals, of course, are built uh, to bring your eyes lifted up, up, up to God. And so the cathedrals became, in many people's minds, a waste of money because Mm -hmm. it could have helped people live better lives. But for others, it was a way to emphasize a priority in their society, which was their religion. You've heard it said before that um, you can tell the priorities of a culture by that culture's biggest buildings. That is really um, <clears throat> distressing. Yeah, it makes me think about what our biggest buildings are. I, yeah. I don't think they're churches. I, no, they're definitely not churches. Well, they're sports stadiums and bank buildings, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so yeah we have should... a space needle. It's not yeah. the biggest <laughs> building, in, yes. but um, it, it's tall. There's not a lot of space. <laughs> what in is it. our biggest building? Is it Amazon now? An Amazon building? I don't know. It, corporate. It's a yeah. corporate it's building a corporate. for sure. sure. Yeah, sure. it's a corporation yeah. type building. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so that goes to the high buildings and the cathedrals. What changed? Because obviously we know that not all churches are like that anymore. Well, you know, I, I know you mentioned in your introduction that some churches are more plain. Very plain, um, yeah. No ornate stained glass windows, no statues, no incense. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that really started in the Reformation period in the 16th century where Protestants some Protestants actually really um, took seriously in the Bible where it says no graven images mm-hmm. of God. And they would say it's distracting to have all these stained glass windows, all this mm-hmm. ornate architecture. We need to simplify. So we focus spiritually on God. And so that became, the again, the Reformed tradition. Uh, the Lutheran tradition, where I'm from, is kind of in between. Uh, we still can appreciate um, beauty and worship and stained glass windows but not maybe to the extent of Roman Catholic and certainly not as plain as the more Reformed I'm hearing tradition. this more and more with the Lutherans. They're, the, right, down the they're right down the middle. Splitting. We sort of walk the fence, not committal. <laughs> we don't come down on one side, side or, the or the other. other. Yeah, yeah, we're right, right in between. Right in between, nice and vanilla. A Roman, a Roman Catholic uh, person came to worship with us one time and described our worship service in our church as being Catholic light. Catholic light. So uh-huh. in a sense we are, but we're um, we're Protestants of course and uh, we revere some of the traditions of worship and architecture. Um, and in our particular church we've actually however strayed from the basilica form of a building where you have a long center rectangular shape to your building with an aisle in the middle. Uh, we have um, built our church more in the round. Mm-hmm. Um, so we surround the um, altar slash table. Um, the, the, the table is a place where we meet God in communion. We gather around that, and that symbolizes the community um, meeting God coming to us, where a cathedral would emphasize us going up to God, you know, now we have God coming down to us and meeting us in our community. I see. We have some more time here. This reminds me of something that I learned from you in a different lecture. Maybe you want to talk about it or not, but um, with Genesis and the two different authors of Genesis Mm -hmm. and how that is symbolized in architecture do you know what I'm talking about? I do, can, I do, yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but can that is go a very good uh, comment. I, I learn things. Yeah, I guess that's a good, <laughs> I good make memory. Connections. That's I a can... great memory. <laughs> that was well, two years ago, you was, told me that. Yeah, um, the cathedral-type buildings in the, the little church where I grew up that had uh, the steps that led up to the altar, and as a child I remember getting increasingly quiet with each step that yes, I went up. Right. Um, that emphasizes God. a God who is distant from us. And the, there are two Genesis uh, creation story. One Genesis creation story has God creating with a word. And you imagine God with a deep voice um, mm-hmm. saying, let there be light. Ooh, the cloud. And then yeah, there was light. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so in that, the fancy theological word for describing that is transcendent, God beyond us, God distant from us, God other. And so you can build a church to emphasize that part of God's nature. God mm-hmm. is distant other than the creation, different from the creation. Or you can go at the second chapter of Genesis, which describes God walking in the garden, fashioning human beings out of the dust of the earth. 
symbolic, all mm-hmm. symbolic story. Mm-hmm. And but the nature of God there is very close to us. God is a friend. God as one who is as close as your breath, as close close as your heartbeat. God in your midst. So you can fashion your church architecture to emphasize that part of God's nature. So our church in the round has a sense of informality. It has a sense of God being close to us. We're close to the altar. There's no fence between us and the altar. God is right in our midst. And so that's called the imminent or very close to us nature of God. And so people always in class will say, well, Pastor Mike, which is it? Is God (laughs) other, (laughs) transcendent, distant? Is God close, imminent? Is church architecture long center aisle? Is it in the round? Which is best? Yeah. Now, based on your answers to many other questions, I'm guessing it's somewhere right Right in in the the middle. middle. (laughs) (laughs) In this case, I would say, yeah, it's right in the middle, but I would also say it's both and. Instead of being right in the middle, I would say, which is true? I would say, yes. (laughs) God, is it not true, though, that God... Don't we, even people who never, ever go to church, and many people have a sense of the holy, the divine, that's not structured within a church setting. Do we not have a sense for God being other when we look at the horizon or we're in the top of a mountain? We have a sense for God being majestic, other, distant, too big to be explained. And yet, on the other hand, do we not also go inward and are quiet and listen to our own breath and heartbeat to sense the presence of God. So it seems like we humans have this sense of God other, majestic, and also God close, personal, Mm -hmm. as close as our breath. And that is reflected in how we build our churches, how we understand our faith. And we can leave that tension there. It doesn't have to be either or. Mm -hmm. It can be both and. Mm -hmm. You're both and, and, but if you take the... What happens with people who take the Bible literally? You have two stories that don't make sense together, right? Well, that you'll have to ask someone <laughs> you about <don't> that. Know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I choose to look at Scripture in a kind of both-and way that Scripture can actually contradict uh, itself and have totally different stories. Um, and if you want to interpret the Bible as literal and exact, you have to do some mental gymnastics to reconcile those two stories. I see it rather as you have one insight into God coming from this angle of um, God is imminent, close to us, um, walks with us, and you have another insight of God which is distant and profound and majestic, which is true, both. Do you have to resolve that? No. You have different authors in the Bible. They have different insights into the nature of God. You can let them sit side by side and not have to resolve every contradiction in the Bible. And I actually find it uh, has has made my faith stronger Mm -hmm. to understand that you don't have to resolve every contradiction in Scripture, but you can understand maybe a better insight into the nature of God from the contradictions. Yeah. Well, we're at the end of our time. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks for being here. We will catch you next time.